Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. So in this latest episode of the Non-Optive podcast, um, we've got a guest here who's been for a pretty special experience in terms of being one of the first people to go through the cross-bracing protocol, which has um, provided remarkable results in defying the kind of previous perception that ACLs couldn't heal. Um, I think 90% healing record. And including yours, Pep, your ACL is now It is healed. now healed, fully healed. Which I was concerned about when I saw you, when I met you in the car park and you hobbled out of your car. And I was like, is this what healing really looks like? <laughs> Which is the question I guess people ask is like, well, what does healing mean to the degrees of it? But your knee is, is feeling good other than your recent Yes, my knee episode. is feeling fully good. It, my knee feels great. It feels strong. I have no problems. I actually, what Tim's talking about is I actually had a fall yesterday, crashing, a cyclist crashing into me as I was going for a run and I went, got hit for six. So I've got a few bruises and grazes Yeah, from that. But other than that, I'm really fit and well. Yeah. So you're um, nearly a year post-injury. Yes. Um, and could you just talk us through a bit about how you came about to actually having the, the cross-bracing protocol, because obviously I think less than 500 people at the time mm. of recording have actually been through that process. Um, so how did you end up being well, in a brace? Well, I, I actually, um, we were skiing in Japan mm. and I had a very minor collision. I was actually standing still on the side of the hill. We're working out where to go for the day. And my, Are you going to name the culprit oh, in broadcast? I'm not sure I should. <laughs> Yes, well, it was my husband that accidentally <laughs> nicked the back of my ski and it, I went backwards and my skis uh, were rolling backwards and my knee caved in. So it was a very innocent, not a big accident at all. It just happened. And then we happened to be at a trauma conference. So he had a mate look at my knee that night and he thought, yeah, she's probably done it. To- also mentioned probably what your husband Oh, yes. Uh, he is medical. He's an anaesthetist. Yeah. Yes. And so you're good company when the incident happened. Yeah. Except for the company being the Yes, <laughs> that's right. He, he is a very calming person when there's injury. He's yeah. actually very helpful to be around. So I have to give him credit there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we had the – that night we were in a little place called Rizitsu and a f- couple of days later we went to Nisco – and I went to the physios there and they were convinced I'd done it. Although we didn't bother doing an MRI, I thought we'd just get that done back in Melbourne. Mm. But with the physical test, they f- were, you know, pretty sure I had done it. They put me in and a... that was ru- a straight ACL rupture. Yes. They didn't think it was anything else. So straight ACL. And they put me in a brace, a similar brace to what they would use for the cross bracing method. Mm. And they set the brace at 90 to 30 degrees because that's just what they'd been doing in Japan. And I think they'd had spontaneous heal with setting the brace at that um, degree. And then when I got back to Melbourne, we did the MRI to have it confirmed. And I just happened to know a radiologist and I was having a chat to him about my scan and he said to me look there's this trial going on and by the look of it your your uh 
rupture looks really good for it, but you'd have to speak to them. Try and get on to them. I can give you their name and number. Give them a call. So given I'd had previous ACL surgery on my other knee, I was keen to look at my options because I did find the surgery quite traumatic and painful and a very long road. So I just wanted to know what else was out there that could actually do a heel, have a heel. I was convinced in my head at the time that I definitely wanted a healed ACL because a lot of the activities I like to still do ideally require an ACL. Mm. I play a lot of tennis, I do a lot of skiing and I'd like to do, you know, I do a lot of running and more trail running would require an ACL ideally. Yeah. So I was keen to have a heel but I was also keen to look at other options and I rang the physio and the physio got me to come in straight away because of the importance of the time that you get into the brace they want you in the brace within two weeks of injury. And that may have changed. I'm not sure if it's gone down to one week. But at the time, I think I was – I think at the time it was within three weeks of injury. But it, I think it's been brought into two now. Hmm. Um, and I got the brace on the cross-bracing method just under three weeks. Yeah. And they set it to 90 degrees, locked at 90. Yeah. And that, that's standard, right? So in ideal for the optimum healing capacity, you'd have been locked into that. Yes. As soon as you'd... So mine you'd... was slightly different. It was locked into 90 because I'd already been in the 30 to 90. I'd already been in the 30 to 90 for a couple of weeks while I was away in Japan. We decided we could lock it into 90 and go from there. And I was in 90 for two weeks. As I think the normal program was four weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think that's because I did the 90 to 30 to start with. you already done the yeah. period before. Yeah. So, and then after that, we went 90 to 60 for a couple of weeks, then 90 to 40 degrees, then 90 to 30, 90 to 20, 90 to 10. Mm. And, um, and you, were you doing any sort of rehab during that period would they have you yep. in and out of it doing activity or all in the brace but obviously to the range of all in the brace so while it was in 90 degrees I could not take it out of the brace at all yep. so everything was done with the brace on so showering walking around the house you know I had a little knee scooter so that was helpful. I bet you missed that. Oh, the kids missed that actually because they found it quite a bit of fun racing around the house on it, like a skate indoor skateboard to them. But um, look, I, it was hard when it was in ninety. It was hard. It, yeah. it, it was. It wasn't easy. But the benefit of it for me, there was no pain. I didn't have to take a day off work, and I did my physio. I was religious with physio, and I think. With any ACL rupture, you have to be religious with your physio. If you don't do the work, it won't get better regardless. Yep. And you can compare that because what you've mentioned there is, is like quite a challenging experience of being locked in. Um, and it was something that I considered, well, when I had mine was, it was my physio mentioned the cross bracing. I think I was too late by the time we did it anyway. I was like, oh, that sounds like really restrictive. But the reason I mentioned that is compared to post-operative so you had surgery on your other knee how would you 
describe it in comparison to that in terms of limiting of your lifestyle because obviously you've got to take a lot of precautions and a lot of limitations after surgery as well right yeah I found the surgery a lot more traumatizing and I I use that word because to me it was Mm. I I found it really painful um you know, I spent the next month literally in bed and getting up to do my exercises when I had to. Yeah. I had help getting into the shower. I, you know, my kids were a bit little at, at the time. I think my youngest was four and then... Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... And my, the girls were five and... No, sorry, were, would have been nine and ten. Mm. So I, they were more needy of me, whereas this time round they're older and a lot more self-sufficient. Yeah. But the the surgery I found painful for quite a lot of time. I was taking some good pain meds and I really knew I had to get off those quickly. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with the cross-bracing method, I actually found, yes, it was difficult being locked in the brace, but that was only two weeks and then I had two weeks at the 90 to 60 where I was still using the knee scooter, but I could still get around. You know, I, I went, I took the girls to Chadston shopping. You know, I could still do everything. Yeah, they weren't embarrassed for mum. <laughs> <laughs> they thought it was funny, actually. They saw the humour in it. They were taking selfies with me and posting them to their friends. And and I could still go to work. I didn't miss a day of work. Yeah. I didn't take any Nurofen, any Panadol, nothing. Mm. And... So it was more just annoying and frustrating and the fact that I couldn't do my normal exercise, I found that frustrating. Yeah. But with the surgery, it was, I was struggling. I was in bed, I was pain, I would wake up in pain, I would go to bed in pain. Mm. And look, I think I was unlucky because I've had friends that have gone through the I, surgery. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like you have, you've had relative to, because I'm always really conscious of this podcast, even though I've called it the normative, is to not make it an anti-surgery. No. I, I've been through the same and, and didn't have the same kind of volume no. of, of kind of um, suffering. That sounds like that you'd gone through there. But I guess that's the one of the risks that it is, there's variables in yeah. terms of people's experiences with surgery. Well, that's right. And a lot of my friends didn't go through what I'd been through. And I did have to go back in six at six weeks and have an MUA, which is a manipulation under anaesthetic, because it wouldn't bend. Right. So I I think I was unlucky in that sense. But I was unlucky enough that it did put me off having the surgery again if I didn't have to. Yep. Um, But as I say, I I mean, I would have, if this didn't work, I was probably inclined to go and have the surgery. Yep. Yeah. Um, So moving on, so you've you've come out of the, the brace and... They've done a repeat MRI scan at, was it three months? Typically we did one at three months. Yeah. And that showed that it had joined, it had connected. Yeah, but that so, was a good feeling. Oh, it was, it was so exciting. I was, yeah. I was positive. It felt good. But I was still had that, you know, unsure feeling as well because I, I guess it, I'd focused my last three months of my life just on this knee. Yeah. So I really was hoping for a good result and I was thrilled to find out that it was positive, you know, connection there. And then we had another scan at six months just to show, to, to make sure it was still healed. I mean, it felt like it was, but I just, 
you know, for me, I just wanted to know, and it was, and and, and it did show a bit of thickening. Yeah. So it still looks good, and it's it's it. You know, it, I was still working on the rehab, but it's it it felt better and stronger each as each month went by. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you can't compare. You didn't have an MRI before your injury, so you can't compare the thickness and the the strength, obviously, to to that. But was the the kind of prognosis at that point that it has fully healed to pretty much maximum strength that you can trust it now? Yeah, I totally trust it. Yeah. I um, in July, so the injury happened in January 2023, and then I came out of the bracing. Must have been April. Mm. And then in about September, I did try some cross-country skiing on it. The snow was in terrible condition, so I didn't want to try downhill because there was too many people and the conditions were awful. Whereas cross-country, you could get away from people and mm. find a bit of soft snow. I did find that. I did wear my brace doing it yeah, because it was still early days, but I was just busting to have a turn. And then um, I was doing a lot of walking up there, up at the snow from about July onwards, mm. and I was using poles and I used um, chains on my shoes to, to avoid slipping. But that got me pretty fit walking up there. Yeah, I bet, yeah. And that re- was really good walking physio. Mm. And then I started doing some running probably September. Yeah. Just short little runs, you know, th- two th- Ks, three Ks. yeah. But I'm now I'm now back to doing longer runs. Yeah. So you took it fairly. I don't know whether you class this conservatively, but from my perspective, so I I've been through the non-bracing, non-operative um, rehab approach, and I was back running. I think probably three and a half months, maybe after my injury, and back playing sport a month later than that. But I was pretty. I pushed my physio pretty hard because I was very determined to play the the same season as I got injured. Um, but it sounds like the time scales are a bit more conservative and a bit more closely aligned to post-operative with yeah. The I think I think that's possibly true. I also think I'm probably I was pretty wanting to be a little bit conservative about it. Yeah. As well, because I didn't want to have to have it snap and go through the process again. Yep. Um, and also, I'd, I'd say I'm a bit, quite a bit older than you too, Tim, so <laughs> I've got to be a little bit more careful. Um, so I probably didn't have as as much enthusiasm to get yeah. back straight away just because I didn't want it to re-snap. No, you had, you had a ligament. That my, a lot of my attitude was, um, well, I don't have an ACL <laughs> yeah. to rupture now. Yeah. So barring other collateral yeah. damage, which like return to sport testing should prove wasn't a greater risk for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that, that concern. I was like, well, if I, you know, now I damage my meniscus or do more damage to my MCL, well, maybe I'll have surgery at that stage. Like that's, that's my, that was always my plan B. I guess same for you, but um, it's a bit different because you were, had such a exciting prognosis there. I should probably go get a re- repeat MRI and see if I had Stop. non-bracing healing. But then also partly of the mind that what if I it shows I haven't got any healing and then in my, my mindset is like <laughs> clarity that you don't have a ligament there. <laughs> There's yeah. been no reattachment. So uh, we'll see. But um, I wanted to go back to your decision making process. So you talked to us a bit through how the kind of opportunity came up and your 
motivation to try and find a way to not have surgery. Um, but in terms of the influences around you, I mean, you obviously mentioned that your your husband's in the, the medical industry and people you talk to, I think this will speak to a lot of people listening, are surrounded by majority of the people are saying you need surgery, right? And that maybe you're getting a bit carried away by, by this opportunity. What was the what was the information that you were surrounded by, particularly? Um, I don't mean to pick on your husband; he's probably going to hate me up to listen to this. Um, but I think it's important to to cover that kind of sphere of influence that you have when you're making this decision, uh, and how kind of difficult it can be to have a really set mindset. Yeah, I think it's a difficult decision. I, you know, you know a lot of people that have had successful surgery. Mm. We didn't know anyone who had successful knee bracing. Yep. So there were a lot of people saying, oh, it's unproven, you yep. know, why don't you just see how you go with rehab and then if if you've got the instability, then look at having the surgery. But my point kept coming back thinking I wanted, the, I wanted a healed ACL yeah. because I wanted to not have to wear a brace when I skied or not have to think about it. And I think there were a lot of people unsure about the decision-making. I was, yeah, you know, but I, I also those people hadn't been through the surgery that I went through and my experience with that. So for me it was a pretty easy decision to try this method. I did have people around me saying, well, if you do that method and it doesn't work, you're not just back to square one. You're behind where you started because, you know, you do lo- lose muscle condition when mm, you, you know, right, yeah. you, you do lose a bit. You obviously try not to, but you, you're not as strong as you are at the start of the bracing period. That's the whole point of the rehab. You've got to try and stay strong. Yeah. So going if it, if it didn't work and then you're going back to start a rehab program mm. on non-ACL on non-surgery or doing the surgery, you're back. Yeah, you must. You're behind. is going to be even greater than correct. Where, yeah, I guess that's again. Okay. Come back to the the because I, I think I think what we're essentially looking at from a audience perspective is laying the free options that ultimately exist for most people. I mean, if 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 cross bracing is available, people to choose is really surgery, cross bracing, or just straight rehab, right? Um, and one of the pros of the rehab is as soon as the swelling subsides or even whilst you've got the swelling there is you're starting to reactivate those muscles. And once that swelling has gone, you're really aggressively doing it. So it's very much focused on building the muscle. And then if you do have an, a kind of episode of instability that um, provokes you to, to want to have surgery, then from a muscular perspective, you're in a, in a good condition to start the rehab in a, in a decent place after surgery where you're saying, yeah, if you come out the brace, and then have a a bad episode of instability or cause some other injury, and then you decide surgery. Yeah, you've it's kind of you've created a really long pathway, I guess. Correct. Yeah, Correct. which is why probably you want to take a bit longer, expose yourself to a bit less risk, uh, and really focus. Yeah. So for for me, it was an obvious decision because I'd already been through the surgery yeah. on my previous knee. If I hadn't been through that surgery, I probably to be honest, would have just gone, seen how I went and then probably ended up with the surgery. I'm not sure. Mm. But I think I didn't know enough about the non, 
surgery methods yep. to think about just doing the physio mm. rehab. Do you think you would have taken... So obviously you, you're quite fortunate to have that opportunity to be part of the trial and if that had come up and you hadn't been through the surgery um, experience that you'd had, do you think you'd then you would have still chosen to give it a go or do you think you would have gone for surgery? Depends if I had knee instability. So with my first one, when I did go through the knee instability, I had an accident in August and I didn't have the surgery until October because I just, I had other injuries at the time to, to get better before the surgery. But I did, I did have incidences where my knee just caved in. So I knew surgery was the option. So I sort of had it in my head mm. that I needed the surgery. Yeah. Because I just didn't think, well, that I needed it for one knee. Surely I would just need it for the other. So yeah. that's probably why I didn't even think about just doing a non-operative mm. method. Had you started rehab for that? Or it sounds like you had a, a bit else going on. So would you have been rehabbing when those episodes were yes, happening? Yes, uh, I was, but I had... I had an accident and I'd broken, you know, a couple of ribs and, yeah. you know, had some other things going on. So I was mainly concentrating on getting that better first. Yep. Yeah. But I was doing rehab and I was, I did have a brace on and I was, we were living up at um, Mount Buller for the oh, season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was up there and after the accident, I spent a week in hospital and I did go back to Mount Buller for, for the rest of the season. Mm. And I was, my knee was fine as long as I had my brace on and I was walking up to the summit pretty much every day and sometimes twice a day. So that was, and I was seeing a physio, I was doing online physio sessions and this was pre-COVID. So it was quite novel to do online <laughs> physio sessions back then, whereas now it's quite common. Yeah. Um, Fast forward into to where you're at now. So, subject to cyclists taking you out, you're doing pretty well in your in your running, and the the knee's feeling really good and stable. Yeah, the knee feels very good. It it feels strong. I both knee both knees feel really strong and really good actually. Yeah, yeah. But it's I was getting a little bit of patella pain for a while, and I was just strapping my kneecap to one side was helping with that. Um, but that is slowly getting better and it was just because one muscle on one side of the knee is stronger than the other and it was pulling the kneecap right. in the wrong position. Yeah. But other than that, it feels really good and I don't tend to strap it now. Occasionally I strap it on my longer runs and I'm only just getting back into the longer runs now. Yeah. But I have... Um, I take not the do- girls with you as I, t- well. I do take my teenage girls with me. Yesterday we did 11Ks together. And then um, I have booked in for the half Melbourne Marathon. Oh, okay. I won't be fast, but I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got some questions from um, our Facebook group, ACL and Meniscus Tear Recovery Without Surgery um, group, because I really want to you know, get people to be able to ask this to be an opportunity to people to hear about your experience and answer any of their questions or concerns around it um one that i get asked a lot particularly is is here from justice uh for lucy pinnon i'm guessing that's not their name but a campaign but um they've asked what exercises helped i guess in terms of your your rehab once you're out well even to a degree whilst you're still in the brace but were there any kind of key ones that you found really helpful in getting your knee strong and stable yeah 
Definitely hamstrings. So what what when we did the rehab program, what we did notice my hamstrings on both sides were actually really weak. Mm. So getting my hamstrings stronger, I found that difficult. I found it much easier to get my quads stronger. So I think getting your quads strong is really important. But for me, the hamstrings were something I never knew I had weak hamstrings Mm. and they were much weaker than they should have been. Yeah. Um, Yeah, actually exactly the same I I found. And I I do find it easier to, you know, when you're you're setting the weights up and stuff and monitoring your progress, building quad strength is feels a lot easier than hamstring. Feels like there's a lot more yeah. suffering goes on yeah. there when you're in the like curl versus extension machines and you feel like it's kinda like hamstrings feel like they're more likely to blow than you I never really had that with, with quads. Um and were there any specific kind of exercises that you were that you were doing? Maybe that you wouldn't typically, you know, do in the gym. Um or that you wouldn't have done pre injury. I, I was doing lots, but I don't really know what they're called. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, mainly mainly exercises to work on my quads, hamstrings, and calf. Lots of calf raises, single leg calf raises. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really know what they're called. So. Yeah. Is it, is it seated calf raises that have you focused on as well? Uh, no, standing. Yeah. So single leg with weights on my shoulders. Yep. And then starting off doing two legs because at the start I was too weak to do mm. one leg. And then so just doing two legs and then, then going into one leg calf raises. Yeah. And was the hamstring – so I think this is thing that not too many people focus on so much and one of the risks with, with rehab. Was one of the focuses that they get your, your hamstrings and your quad, their relative strength to be similar? Yes. So – There's not an imbalance. Yeah, so there's not an imbalance. And also we were sort of comparing it to my, my good leg. Mm. You know, the so we we wanted to balance each leg to yeah. to the same strength. Yeah. So did you did you get back to hundred percent equal strength or was it um, a lot of people aim for ninety? Yeah, I, w- I would say between ninety and ninety five percent I am. Yeah. But look I haven't done a test like that for oh since pre Christmas. Yep. End end of November. Yep. Start of December. So it'd be interesting to see because really I think now I would be two months on, I would be a lot stronger because I've been doing a lot more running. Yeah. As well as still doing physio exercises. Yeah. But I think the running is making me a lot stronger too. Yeah. Um, we have one here from the the master admin of, of this group. Are you in this group? No, but the, I'll join it. I didn't oh, know okay. it existed. Yeah, there's like 19,000 <sighs> members in it. Um, ACL plus meniscus tear recovery. About surgery, you're famous on it now because I've been posting <laughs> pictures of you. Oh, <laughs> um, and so the admin and and Sean on there, Sean O'Keefe, who's remarkable, he replies to literally every comment anyone ever posts with advice and and feedback. So he's a physio. There's a group of physios that run this group, and they provide incredible uh, advice. Um, he also after undertaking the ACLR for her collateral knee. Originally, did she face? So he's obviously aware. I think I posted that. Um, yeah, Pep, who had previously had surgery on other ACL, um, so he's, he's referencing that. Um, did you face much backlash from your GP and/or ortho when deciding to participate in the cross bracing 
uh, protocol trial this time. We've kind of covered that. Um, just see if you're a oh, GP I'll, or your. I'll give you a quick response, and that is actually the day after I got back from Japan, I went and saw the orthopedic surgeon mm. that I saw for my um, initial surgery. Mm. And at the time, because I hadn't had any, I was in the brace, and he. Um, at the time, we just thought, well, stick to the brace, see how you go, mm. and and um, see. At that stage, I wasn't in the bracing protocol. I was going to say, so you were in the the first ninety just in, range brace. Yes. So I think we just decided to see if I had any instability. Okay. Um, so he was pretty open to. So I think I was take I took the brace off when I wasn't walking around. Mm. This was before I got onto the bracing. So there was a yep. week in between, and I hadn't had any. Um, I hadn't had any instability moments in during that time, and I think we. I had a, just a general chat with him. It wasn't to go in and say I need the surgery. It was like just a general chat, and we decided. I mean, I'm. 49 now so I think we decided that look let's just see how you go you know have a ski in the season go for runs just see how you go and see if it how you go with it yeah because a lot of surgeons don't want to operate on someone you know in their 40s anymore anyway right okay but you'd said that you you know you wanted to get back to your kind of fully functioning life at that stage because that can be the point where you know, even you, even you reference it at the, at the start without an ACL, you can't do certain activities. That's the perception. So were you kind of at that stage going, oh, okay, well, I'm willing to adjust my lifestyle a bit? Yeah. I th- Well, no, I wasn't because I wasn't willing to adjust my lifestyle. Mm. But and I just sort of supportive. thought, look, let's just see how I go. But yeah. I thought in the back of my head that I would still be, um, I'd still go down this method. But I, it was at the time in between having the MRI result and seeing the physio surgeon, uh, seeing the physio about the program to go on. There was a few days. Yeah. So then when I came home from the physio and I went back home and said to my husband, okay, this is what, I'll, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this cross-bracing method. And then I know he, he did speak to the surgeon and go, what do you know about this? Mm. And look – the surgeon was quite open-minded about it and said, look, she, she's got nothing to lose. Yeah. So he was quite open-minded about it. and yeah. So did they have the results? Because you were phase two trial. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds a bit. <laughs> um, but um, did they have the results from the first phase of that stage? Yes, uh, I yeah. did Google them, I think. Yeah. I think I did look them up. and Or maybe it was just that I was told by someone I trusted Mm. Um, whether it was the radiologist I knew or whether I think he'd told me that that having some really positive high percent chance. And then I did um, have a session with Tom Cross and he was giving me, showing me the um, results, Mm. letting me know. And and then he said, look, you know, I think we've got a 80% chance of it healing. Maybe it was even a bit higher than that. I can't quite remember. Yeah. So he was actually – so that was relative to your injury, you said? Yes, that was relative to my – with him looking at how I'd done it and and looking at the MRI and my physio had been feeling it because obviously Tom and I spoke over Zoom because he's up in Sydney. Yeah. And I was down in Melbourne. Yeah. 
because that's probably the gap that we we have right now right like we have we're learning about new options um but understanding what the right one is for the right patient in the context of their life and their specific injury and mm. no one's really i guess able to say like operatively or not do which one's the right option f- mm. for you um i know dr stephanie philbay uh, um at melbourne uni they've kind of come up with an online guide but it's more you know pr- feeling a big gap like a huge need that we have of providing people more balanced information around the the multiple options um but still i think as from a patient's perspective you kind of want someone just to go well i'm a, a medical expert this is what you should do yeah this is, these are your so it's quite good that he was willing to because people can be a bit flaky around, <laughs> around that for him to say you've got an 80 percent chance or an 85 percent chance based on your injury and your situation that's something that you know doesn't really seem to be out there so um yeah incredible stuff that dr tom cross is achieving in in the field seems to be very grateful that he's oh absolutely broken this ground yeah it's amazing actually and all the work that's been put into it all the you know collating all the research it is amazing and it's amazing and you know you mention this to people and they don't believe you yeah no people go oh that can't work that that's that can't be true yeah but look here is the evidence it is true yeah in 2023 people don't really accept that we could be you know changing the face of how knee injuries are acl injuries are are managed but you're pretty much (laughs) and i'm also kind of living proof that there are other ways and other pathways that people can consider um yeah um another one that we have kind of answered to a degree should have asked these first but um worded slightly different misha call us any complication following cbpt three month bracing tend to lead to muscle wasting and joint deformity how did you manage that do you have right. any joint deformity oh i've haven't heard about any joint deformity mm. um i don't think that's been really something raised with me but unless they call it something else no no issues there at all i mean obviously of course my knee's not going to be as like I'm not going to have as much muscle around my knee as if I wasn't in a brace and went straight into a a, a rehab program. Mm. But it's nothing I couldn't get back. Yeah. You know. So as, you have managed to get that, that kind of muscle mass and strength back to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually struggled with that, that a lot post-operatively on my, um, but I don't know whether I was going hard enough. Because I was like protecting the ACL, so like leg extension machine, there was still that. This is again another one of those that, like a few years ago, that was still considered a big risk to be on a leg extension machine. And so I was always kind of going higher reps and less weight. And now with not having an ACL there, um, or I might have a healed ACL, who knows? Um, I really attacked it and was every week like trying to increase my PB and and really build that strength for like yeah that was a lot easier for me without having surgery. Um, whereas, yeah, my muscle wastage was huge, both from the injury and then from the surgery. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely muscle wastage, but it's it's if you do the work, I mean, I would, in tests I was 90 to 95%. Hmm. Back to the, on my, the same as Did my other knee. Did you keep working your non-injured yes um knee during it as well yeah it's really important yeah absolutely it's no point measuring a no because you want that one to get stronger anyway yeah so it was just that i was doing both legs yeah but i was doing my injured leg 
more. Yep. Yeah. To try and catch up. Yeah. And um, how does your kind of, you say, you know, obviously back to doing more normal activity in terms of your running and, and your skiing and stuff, um, you obviously put a lot of time into your rehab. Are you just kind of maintaining now is less gym sessions, less physio, yeah, enough rehab? I, I do, I admit I do struggle with the gym. I did go, I get, I was doing the gym. My husband goes to the gym almost every day at 5 a.m., Oh, wow. And I, I struggle to do that. I'm just – I've never been a gym person and when I do – when I've got a reason to be there for like rehab reasons, I was there. Yeah. But then the better I was becoming, the stronger I was becoming, I felt less motivation to go. And as soon as I could start running and – or even, you know, walking more – at a fast pace yeah. and then it turning into the running. That is when my gym sessions dropped down and then I did the rehab at home and then at the gym at the physio with the physio. Yeah. But to be honest, now I just tend to do the running and I'm doing a few calf raises at the moment um, just because I was reading a, listening to a podcast about how to improve running and they said you need strong calves. Car- calves are... God, when it comes to preventing injuries as well, like mm. if they absorb the the impact first, then the rest of your body doesn't take the same strain, right? So, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I lucky I had a calf injury before the season, before my knee injury, and um, again, it's it quite a transformative approach for how they're managing calf injuries. Uh, my physio was like, you just got to really build that strength so it's way stronger than it ever was before mm. across both your calves. And then don't just kind of – people used to just go jogging and gradually build up your distance, right? That's how you build it. So it's like, no, forget that. You need to build your strength first and then you build the stamina into to the muscle. And I found that's such a huge part of, yeah, getting back into rehab is like having – with my knee injury is um, it just makes everything easier. You're hopping, you're, you're – if, if you land properly. <laughs> yeah. Unlike when, you know, when your knee gets isolated in certain instances, like when you're in skis or like for me, we twisted my knee in the ground, like things your calf can't save you from, but it can save you from a lot of other kind of injuries where it absorbs the force. That's um, true. Our final listener question. Um, so this is from my ACL journey 2023. And the question is, what do you think the main contributor to a successful heel was i'm guessing the the bracing process yeah the bra- that yeah the, obviously the bracing process but being really religious and strict about it yeah you know don't don't try and do too much be be really consistent mm. and you know when you're told to keep it in the brace at 90 degrees locked yeah do exactly what you're told to do and then do your rehab. Like it's, you know, if you've got your physio telling you to do X, Y and Z exercises, do exactly what they've told you to do. Yep. That's if they know, you know, about the cross-bracing program, obviously. Mm-hmm. Exactly the you same know, with the non-optive though. Like yes. I think this could become a very boring show if I go into this too much, but speaking to physios the biggest frustration they have and this will be the absolute reason why most people's rehab fails with 
going non-operative, whether it's cross-bracing or not, is they don't rehab hard mm. enough and religiously enough in terms mm. of, you know, for me it was three times a week, so I get the recovery period right, the diet right around that, and every single session was progressively challenging, but also not to the point where I was risking re-injury right. Those simple principles of, there's, there's no point, regardless I think of, of what decision you make and which option pathway you go down, if you're not going to commit to it, then you're probably going to get yeah. <laughs> injured again. Well, that, that's Hard right. To say, but. And I think too, it's if, if you want a good result, you have to be you have to be consistent with it. Yeah. I also look. I I really enjoy exercising, and I get a lot out of it. Mm. You know, from mental health point of view to just feeling alive and you know keeping fit. I like that feeling. So, like, I'm not nowhere near a professional runner, but I enjoy running. It's it's a thing I like to do. It makes me feel good. Yeah. So, getting back to it was really important to me. And also, I've got teenagers that I love to see them get into their sport and exercise and their running. And I wanted to be able to do that with them as well. So, I felt like I had a really strong drive to get back to where I was. Yeah. And I've had so many of my friends do their ACL skiing and you never see them ski again. And I didn't want to be that person. Yeah. I want to enjoy time skiing with my kids and having fun and going for runs and, you know, still being able to do exactly. I wasn't, I was determined to be able to do what I was doing before the injury. Yeah. Um, yeah, the return to sport rates. Uh, st- still sadly very low particularly I think in in women's sport yeah. like the, the return is, re- is really low so it's particularly important why we're kind of looking and discussing at alternative pathways that are going to have better outcomes for, for patients um, well I think with with look I think with women I mean probably maybe men too but I just tend to speak to more women that have done their ACLs so I think with women one when they're my age in their 40s they don't want it to go through that process again. So that's yeah. one reason they don't get back into the sport. And two, if they haven't done their rehab, they feel like they can't get back into sport. Yeah. So I think that's why there's a lot of drop-off in women. And I think, too, women are just very hands-on with family life. And to be out of action for a couple of months is disaster at home. Yeah. You know, like it's really hard work. Yeah. And that's the reality, right? Priorities. mm you, you can't just move them around too much and, and fit in your rehab into around yeah. your lifestyle is is challenging. Um, in terms of, and obviously you tell people like your experience as well, um, for someone else who's looking at their options, would you, do you kind of see it as, you know, if you can do it, definitely give this a go? Or would you kind of, do you balance it and go, oh, well, there's pros to, cross bracing and some negatives well, as well, well th- or do you not really have any well i i think it's important what they do in their life because if they don't do activities really sporty activities where they need the acl or you know they could probably just do whatever they wanted to do right but if they if they've got goals mm. i think they need to to work out what they want to achieve after their injury yeah um, but look, I just sort of think. I mean, I, if I did my ACL again, I know exactly what I'd be doing. I'd going straight to that cross bracing method, because for me, 
I didn't take a day off work. I had no pain medication. It was relatively easy. You know, I had two weeks where, or probably four weeks where it was a little bit difficult mm. in the brace where it was locked and you can't put your foot on the ground. Um, other than that, that was the hardest part and it's such a short time in your long-term recovery anyway. Yeah. So I think I would encourage people to look at that Tom Cross bracing method personally mm. because if they can get into the brace within that time period they require of after the injury, I, I just think you've got nothing to lose. If you end up with a, yeah. uh, a, a healed ACL and you haven't had to go through surgery, why wouldn't you do that method? Yeah. Um, look, I don't know enough about just doing the physio method and I don't know enough about that side just to say just do your rehab and you'll be yeah. okay. Because it's a really good podcast that you could listen to. I will. <laughs> I will now. <laughs> and Yeah, hopefully other people kind of get to that, that same stage yeah. as well. And, I, you know, like as I say, I, I, I do see is a really good option for people. Mm. Um, I just think it's worth a try. Yeah. Do you think people could um, do it themselves? Like obviously you did it as part of a, a trial study, but in terms of you can buy a, a brace that limits online essentially uh, or you can hire one. Uh, I, no. I, I, I think there's too many complications with that. Yeah. I, I think too because um, – Look, I'm not medical, so I can't speak from a medical point of view, but I, um, when it was locked in the brace, there were things like I was on blood thinners for why it was lo- locked in a set right. position. And, you know, whether that's appropriate for you to do, I don't know if everyone goes on that yeah. or whether that was me um, for that period. There's too, uh, too many complications to do it on yeah. your own. And also... Going to see that physio every week or, you know, every two weeks or whatever it may be, they need to know what where your weaknesses are. Yeah. And they need to know, um, you know, when to tell you to when to adjust it. and. Yeah. So it does need to be a guided process. Oh, absolutely. So I guess the following is, is really that we need more physios kind of trained in this, yeah. this process. Because really we want it accessible to to more people than mm. just in kind of Sydney and Melbourne, right? Like this Correct. Be something that's globally available for people, which isn't the case. Yeah. I, th- right I, I think your physio actually has to know about the program. Yeah. And essentially be trained by it and know what to look for and know what signs and symptoms and mm. the weaknesses in which muscles. And I think they need to know a lot about the program. Yeah. Yeah. Getting that accessibility out there for people, I think, is mm. the, the big kind of next step as we continue to see the the successful outcomes and and refine the process. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of exciting stuff. Yeah, it's a really exciting improvement. In it's interesting that it can go this way when so many people have always well, we've all always believed it couldn't happen. Yeah, twenty twenty three, and the world is changing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot about the body we still don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, they learned that with a few other surgeries. I think that like, tennis elbow was perceived as a required surgery and now it's pretty much there's no difference that they showed in having surgery or not um so a lot of different cases out there that we're learning a lot of stuff around so i want to kind of just finish on kind of exploring what what you know someone's come through this what you see the kind of future is i don't know how much you think about the bigger picture of the acl world but um like the way i the way i kind of see it is like wow this is 
if people are getting to full strength in their ACL, this is a far better option than the surgery. And, and for those who need that certainty of having an ACL heal, then it, then it probably makes in many ways more sense than just rehabbing alone. If, if that's what you want to achieve. Um, do you think, well, elite athletes should be doing this. Everyone should be trying this before surgery. I think, look, I think from a professional athlete point of view, they've got, a lot it's the risk is a lot higher mm. because it's still in the trial phases yeah but for someone like me i just think why wouldn't you try it you've got nothing to lose by trying it yeah prior before surgery yeah like so the journalist mentioned um popped up that so sam kerr yes. um it's obviously popped her acl and they'd kind of suggested that she might consider taking on and the physio that was quoted actually said it's a risky, in the same context and reasons you did, and that I agree with, because there's not the the body of evidence out there. I believe 12 professional athletes have actually, or at least elite athletes, have been through the process and returned to sport through it. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, it would be out. great to have more elite athletes do it as a, from a marketing point of view, you yeah. know, to say, look, hey, because it will get the worldwide attention. Yeah. And... It does work and they are getting really successful results and I, I'm really grateful to be a part of that. Yeah. Have you met um, many other people that went through the process? I met one at the physio one day. We were just introduced and they were there for the, an appointment at the same yeah. time I was there. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty big coincidence. Yeah. Well, I go to a physio that is aligned with... Right. I see Jane Rooney who... Yeah. Um, she's done a lot of work in this in this study and trial and works with Tom Cross very closely. Right, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, um, yeah, amazing to, to meet you and speak to you. And, um, yeah, hopefully <laughs> don't see you limping around for any reason other than <laughs> cyclists wiping you out in the future and, uh, yeah, all the best with the rest of your, um, well, enjoying your knee. Yes, thank you, and, and all the best with your recovery, which is, you know, and it's nine months now, right? Yeah, nine months, yeah. So, um, all going well. Knee feels very normal. Yes. <laughs> nice I mean, that's the around. aim, isn't it? So yeah. Hi- yeah. We can high-five each other. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy. And I'm a sport reporter for the ABC. And when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. Oi, 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 oi. IGA, it's shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker.